Hello and welcome to episode 33 of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini. And last spring in 2015, we had our first interview with Michigan Lieutenant Governor Brian Kelly on special education in Michigan. At that time, the Lieutenant Governor had started a listening tour of Michigan to find out what parents of special needs children wanted the state public schools to provide for their children while they're in school. He also had created an online survey for parents to highlight their experiences, both good and bad, in dealing with special education services in their districts. Now, he detailed the reasons for his doing this back in Special Appearance Confidential Episode 24. Well, since then, Lieutenant Governor Kelly completed his listening tour and was appointed by Governor Snyder to put together a special education reform task force. Their job was to take the results of the Lieutenant Governor's listening tour and survey and put it into a report for the Michigan Board of Education, along with recommendations. Now, that report was filed with the board back in January of 2016. And now Lieutenant Governor Kelly is working on getting the reforms implemented into policy. And I'm pleased to say that Lieutenant Governor Kelly has agreed to join us again to talk about what's happened in this past year and what's coming up next. Lieutenant Governor Kelly, thanks so much for returning to talk with us on Special Parents Confidential. No problem. Well, so much has happened since you joined us last year to talk about your special education listening tour. And based on the results of the tour, Governor Snyder appointed you to head a special education task force in October, which was charged with taking the results of your tour and creating recommendations for the State Board of Education on how to improve and reform special education in Michigan. Uh, Could you summarize for our listeners some of the key recommendations in that task force report? Sure. There were uh, there were several aspects of um, uh, categories, if you will, of uh, of recommendations. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first was really back to the beginning of why the listening tour happened in the first place. There were some proposed rules that had a lot of parents and advocates uneasy uh, administrative rules around special education. Right. And uh, the whole rulemaking process itself. Um, that is an area where we made recommendations about how we can um, start with a um, with a more inclusive and transparent process on the front end, and 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 making it more clear who's requesting changes, why they're requesting those changes, what are the intended outcomes of those changes, and then um, seeking and making a place for uh, for input, reaction, suggestion on the front end of the process, as opposed to the standard administrative rules process, which today essentially goes through the entire drafting process of rules before the public has an opportunity for input. So it kind of flips it over on it uh, upside down from where it is today. And um, that's something that can happen at the, uh, the board level. Uh, those recommendations could be, uh, could be implemented. Uh, but from there we went to what I consider to be the the, the more important aspects of the of the report, and that is the uh, the type of framework and and uh, and services, even philosophies behind how we deliver special education, and um, and one of the uh, I'll, I'll share with you kind of an, an ulterior motive, if you will, mm-hmm. which is to not have special education in the future. That we would just have education mm-hmm. and understand that every kid has a different level of need, and our job is to provide as their intensity of needs increase, then the services around that child increase according to what they need, not the current, um, and unfortunately in some, many cases, segregated system that we have today. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so what we've recommended is we put in place a, uh, a broad framework. It's called multi-tiered systems of support, which it does um, build everything around the needs of the student and tries to do away with all these 
the, the silos and the eligibility criteria and the, um, and the, and the things that kind of keep kids in a box and instead say every kid can learn and every kid has a different level of uh, or have, has different needs in order to, to reach their full potential. And our job is to unlock that full potential and provide them what they need. Mm-hmm. And then to get away from... Um, Get away from the uh, the old style of behavior management and really usher in um, uh, positive behavior interventions and supports. That that is uh, something that we know evidence based practices and all the data and the research that is coming back that it's so much more effective and can really lead to um, staff and teachers being able to uh, spend more of their time and resources on academic instruction as opposed to behavior management, and then it also helps students to be in a better position to learn. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then kind of what dovetails right alongside with that, and the third, the third area of recommendation was to eliminate the non-emergency use of restraint and seclusion uh, rooms in, in schools and, to, uh, and, to, do, and to, to put this in law. It's been a state policy for um, about uh, 10 years, I think a little more than that. Mm-hmm. And, um, but we need, to, uh, we need to make it a law because there's unfortunately non-emergency restraints and seclusion rooms are used all too often. And it's very traumatic and ineffective for the students. It's dangerous for the students. It's dangerous for, for the staff. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a practice that we need to, to leave behind us. And uh, so those are a few of the examples, you know, big uh, big issues. The first thing that is moving through the process, though, but has been introduced, is the um, is the law banning the use of, of restraint seclusion in non-emergency situations, and um, and uh, and then the budget itself includes a lot of good professional development to help uh, teachers, administrators, and other um, education service providers to uh, to properly implement positive behavior interventions and supports in place of the old corporal punishment philosophy. Right, right. And I know that's been a big issue for you, too, for a personal reason. And uh, I think that uh, that sounds like a great idea. Um, if I could go back for a second and talk about the the uh, streamlining process for getting the kind of help the kids need, and it sounds like it's going to be more of a customizing uh, uh, process, um, I think that would resonate well with a lot of parents because, um, you know, it's finding the right category has always been the toughest part of figuring out the individual education program for kids. Could you? Yeah, uh, this is this is an area that I think is going to be. Um, it's it kind of separated out into two different different pieces. You've got kind of the overall framework and structure, and then you've got the the informed or evidence-based practices that you provide to students based on whatever their needs are. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're really looking at this as step one, which is is to is is to try and replace the existing system, which is kind of like built boxes around a diagnosis mm-hmm. or a label, mm-hmm. and then tries to keep those kids in those boxes. And as, as, we, as anybody who has a child that, uh, that has a, a label or a diagnosis knows all too well that they're very unique, and um, and in in their their needs are different. So, if you have two kids with autism, both kids do not need the exact same type or level of services. If you have two kids with Down syndrome, they don't need the exact type of same type of um, of support and services. That we really need to build it around what the 
what the child needs. And that's what the the multi-tiered systems of support, I think, will, will work in both directions to where we'll, we'll take a more individualized approach to what a child needs, but then also... What breaks my heart is when I hear from uh, I hear from parents about their child had had uh, their their needs being met and they were excelling and doing well, and then the supports were taken away, and then they regressed. Right. And uh, and so that's the sort of thing where I think that if we if we got away from the predetermined you know diagnosis criteria equals this exact program, we could. We can instead replace it with with a with a philosophy that says, whatever the child needs to be successful, it's our job to get a, get them that. Right. And uh, and so that's really the, the that the first part is to put the framework or the structure in place. I do know that we are going to have to come back with additional work in order to better equip schools. And there's there's financial components to this. There's professional development. And there's uh, and there's uh, you know the onset or the or uh, implementation of, of best practices for uh, for different needs that students have that a lot of schools need are they're going to need additional resources in order to pull that off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I think if we can get the behaviors part of it under control, uh, that where where we have evidence based positive behavior interventions uh, in place, that uh, schools will have more resources. And then we can do a more proper evaluation of what the overall needs are to make sure that uh, whatever specialty services and, and know-how around uh, learning disabilities, developmental disabilities, uh, potentially mental illnesses, uh, whatever whatever those needs are, that schools are well-equipped to deliver those, those services. That's great. That's really great. Um, how does the process work with the Board of Education as far as what they're going to be doing with your task force recommendations then? Well, we, we have a great working relationship. It's one of the things that I've really enjoyed uh, over the course of the last year is developing a, a strong working relationship with both Board of Education members and members of the uh, State Board of Education. The uh, Special Education Director, Ter- Terry Chapman, uh, she is awesome. The, uh, the She's been in that position, I think, for about a year now mm-hmm. and has been uh, outstanding to to work with, and so there's there's two part. I, I guess I'd put this this into three different categories. There are some things that can change by administrative rule um, within the department, and um, and and early indications anyway are that the the uh, the leadership at the at the state department of education is very interested in adopting the recommendations from the task force report. Mm-hmm. As part of their agenda as well, so I feel confident that 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 will work, um, and then uh, and that they'll be great partners in implementation. There'll be some areas where we need to change the law and um, the limitation of uh, restraint and seclusion to only emergency situations, or to ban it to non-emergency situations. I guess would be a better way of putting it. Right. Um, the uh, that that is. Uh, that that's an area where we'll need to change the law. So it's really the legislature. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to professional development, uh, when I say professional development, I mean think about the think about the teacher who went through uh, school and and went into general a general education uh, type of a setting to teach 20 years ago, and that was at a time when 
you know, there there really wasn't an expectation that we would be inclusive in our classrooms. That there was still very much center-based programs with uh, with segregation of students with with special needs, mm-hmm. and um, and so those teachers um, really do need help with. We we expect more out of them than we ever have before, and so sometimes it's classroom supports, but sometimes it's additional professional development. Uh, to, to come ar- around and support those teachers uh, that may have been educated themselves at a time when segregation was the go-to strategy, and now they're expected to run classrooms that are inclusive. And right. uh, so that's that, that's one area where um, it's I need to get the legislature to appropriate money, but the State Board of Education is who I would expect to um, to develop the uh, the, the professional development curriculum and actually d- deliver that uh, professional development across school districts and intermediate school districts. Mm-hmm. Right. And, of course, that is the big issue. Um, you know, we're right now, we're in a, an election year with uh, a number of uh, senators and representatives in the legislature who are up for re-election. And then, of course, in two years, there's going to be the big state elections, and Governor Snyder will no longer be eligible to be governor, and others may wind up uh, being replaced. How important is it for Michigan families of special needs kids to make sure that special education reform remains a priority for all the representatives and senators and whoever the next governor will be? I think relationships are critically important. And um, in my experience is that people in, um, you know, the House of Representatives or the, or the Senate, um, that they want to understand that they don't happen to be touched, that their family's not touched by, um, by, by these issues directly, that they want to understand that we really need to give them a chance uh, to, to do so. And so I recommend uh, forming relationships with people so that, so that these issues aren't, I mean, I, I'll draw, as long as I'm drawing a breath and I have anything to say about anything that happens that in government, I'm going to continue uh, to fight and push so that all kids have an opportunity to reach their highest, fullest potential mm-hmm. and to live self-determined lives. The, um, but but I know that I won't always be there, and so it's it's really important that we have as many people as possible that are not just willing to go there, but but really to make advocates out of people, to to help people to to uh, to help the those that are holding public office. To, to adapt this as their cause to to really believe in that potential and say you know what there I don't care where you're at on the, on the on the political spectrum from as far right to as far left as you could get that uh, this is one area that everybody ought to be able to rally around mm-hmm. and uh, and so I, it is critically important and, and relationships are important and I, I would encourage you to look up who who represents you. And, you know, a lot of them do coffee hours or they do, um, you know, district meetings and, and they go to different events and things that to just go out of your way, introduce yourself and just let them know, hey, this, uh, there's work being done in this, uh, and special education reform and particularly this task force. And it's really important to me. And I'd appreciate it if you would, if you'd support those efforts. Just that much of a communication will, will leave such a, an impression. Because you'd be surprised at how many people never really do share their opinion. And so those who do tend to make a very big impression. 
That's great to know. That's great. And of course, um, as you mentioned, funding is going to be one of the big issues, and funding is always a big issue for every program. Uh, you know, the task force recommendations are really ambition ambitious. Um, and will taxes need to be increased to provide these services, or could it be through using funds from other programs, or could funding perhaps even come from outside sources like investments in the private sector, or could it be a possible combination of all three of those ideas? We're really at the stage now where we're um, where we're focusing on professional development um, and and better, more effective, evidence-based behavior management and. Uh, and I think once we have that, once we get through that, we'll have a better understanding of where the gaps are. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that there are some specialty services that certain districts, depending on the nature of the district, um, have uh, that have a more difficult time providing. But um, it's difficult to assess that. We're kind of on the front end here, so it's difficult to assess how much will be needed. But um, but I'm confident that a lot can can happen with within the resources that we have today, and then um, as we but as we move forward, as additional resources are are identified, then then we'll um, we'll have to explore all the different available options. I, I, I mean, government is a even state government, which you know obviously is is uh, dwarfed by the federal government, mm-hmm. is uh, is still a you know a fifty plus billion dollar operation a year. And uh, public education is one of our uh, constitutional obligations mm-hmm. to, to provide an effective education for uh, for our children, and uh, and so this has to be a priority, whether we're in tough budget times or in, in better budget times or growing budget times. Uh, either way, that this is a this is an area where the Constitution says we have to get it right, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and our moral compass says we have to get it right. So, um, so making sure that the resources are there has to be a priority, and I will make it a priority. That's wonderful. Well, what's your goal as far as a timeline uh, for when we can see the recommendations that will be adopted? I mean, I know you're you're in the initial areas, and there's some things that can simply be handled by the Board of Education. But when you talk about uh, the legislature and perhaps having to change laws on certain things, what do you hope uh, to be a, a, perhaps a goal as far as how long it'll take? I am um, I am very hopeful that we will be able to get the restraint and seclusion ban uh, passed yet this year mm. and um, so that it can be effective in the following school year that is a um, that's a that's something that's that's very important a high high priority to me because the use of restraints is such a, a traumatic uh, experience for everybody involved and it it, it really does take away the ability of um, of a student to to learn that turns um, a place that should be safe for a student into a very threatening, scaring it scary environment, mm-hmm. and uh, and and then on top of that, it, it puts staff in too much danger, and um, and so we we really need to improve those. That's going to be a, a top priority that I really want to get done this year. The um, in the budget this year, I hope to have um, the professional development resources for the State Board of Education to uh, to start developing uh, that network of trainers out there 
and to um, and then to, to set a goal to over the next three to five years to get into every single school in the state. And then uh, and then uh, when it comes to the administrative rules process, I, I think that that's something that the that the state board could move on pretty quickly, and I think they have an interest in moving pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if there are proposed rules that are right around the corner that would go through this new process. So that's one of the areas where uh, the change could happen officially, but uh, it's not really clear how long it might be before there are proposed rules to go through the new process when people would really feel the difference. Right. Right. And, of course, this is a long-term and ambitious project because there's so much going on with all the reforms that are being uh, attempted here. That's right, and, and we, and, and I want to underscore that we still have a lot of work to do when it comes to ensuring that schools have. Just to give an example, you know, we, we if we set up if we can set up this framework, but we still need uh, schools to be able to properly screen and then identify and then build supports around a child with dyslexia, for example, so mm-hmm. that they would be able to learn to read and to. Uh, and, uh, and 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 learn in, in mathematics. And so, if the a, a school being able to develop those specific competencies is that's important as well. And some schools do really well, and some schools are struggling in this. And that's that's what I look at as like phase two of these special education reform efforts is to uh, is to really dive into uh, the type of specialty services that a that a school needs to develop if they are to to ensure that that they're matching up the needs of the student with services that are relevant and um, that's I mean that's a big task it was something we weren't able to do within the three month time period that this task force was uh, was working under for the um, the listening tour results mm-hmm. but the um, but it is something that still needs to needs to happen and what I intend to uh, to really transition into now that the uh, the task force report is done and the uh, the implementation initiatives have begun. Right, right. Well, that's that certainly sounds amazing, and uh, we can certainly hope that it all goes as well as we uh, want it to. Um, now, you've also begun a new project with Michigan Supreme Court Justice Richard Bernstein called the Hidden Talent Tour. And uh, you're both traveling the state to promote hiring disabled people. Can you tell us about how that tour came together and uh, what it is you're doing together? What we're trying to do is work on the demand side for um, for companies to think about hiring people with disabilities, not as charity, but as a talented workforce that has a lot to offer, but unfortunately is often never given a chance to show it. Mm-hmm. So, um, in, in fact, you know what I... We started this work, it was uh, late November, when um, we did an executive directive to change the hiring practices of the state of Michigan itself. I mean, the state of Michigan is a big employer. We've got uh, nearly 50,000 employees. Mm. And so we, we wanted to uh, to hire people with disabilities to fill um, the needs that we have, people that are very talented and capable and will excel at these jobs, but but you know, maybe just have never been able to find their way through the process or, or get into the right place where they need to in order to to be considered. So it started out with as an initiative within the state of Michigan, and I reached out to Justice Bernstein to see if he was interested in helping to promote it to our departments. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he said yes, 
but why would we limit it to departments? Why don't we promote this type of, uh, of work just out with all employers? And, it, and so that's really where it first, um, where it, the, the idea first sprang to really tour around the state talking to different chambers of commerce, you know, events and business groups about why they should consider hiring people with disabilities and then to connect them with resources. If, you know, if they were to look at it and say, yeah, that makes sense to me, then to, uh, to connect them to resources so they'd know how, how to do it. And uh, we've got some great agencies that have talented people that are, are ready to work, desperately want to work, are, are, uh, and, and, and are very, um, very uh, talented and, um, and ambitious people. And, um, and, and to help them to come together with these companies that are they're really struggling to fill certain positions these days. And that's, uh, so I think that it can be a win-win all the way around. So, in fact, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's been, I would say that it's been my favorite project that I've worked on uh, as lieutenant governor is, is, to, is for Richard and I to, to really go around and, and try and start a movement here to, uh, to look at people with disabilities differently. You know, today a lot of times people look at a person with a disability as a charity case. What I'm saying is think about the things that a di- person with a disability needs to do just to get through the day. Mm-hmm. Right? The world is not designed around them. And so they've got to be innovative, and, and they have to uh, they have to persevere. They have to be uh, determined. They have to have a strong work ethic. They've got to be creative. I mean, just to do the things that you and I take for granted. And um, and so those are all the exact qualities that an employer would would really benefit from. And uh, so I and it, there's there's a lot of energy out there around this. I'm really excited about what it can turn into. That's great. That is so wonderful that you're both doing that. And I think it's uh, I think it's also indicative of what happens when politicians can work together and uh, have a share a common goal and uh, be able to get things done. Especially in the case with uh, with Richard and I, are you know we're on different sides of the uh, you know different ends of the political spectrum, mm-hmm. and um, and this but this is just an area where it shouldn't that shouldn't matter. We should be able to all rally around this, and um, and, and trying to make sure that the world works for everybody. And that is a um, so you know to the extent that this could be um, an, a, an example or an inspiration for for others to look for opportunities to work together. Right? That's that's all the better. But Richard and I um, have had a great time traveling and, and uh, working toward this cause. Mm, that's fantastic. Now, a lot of uh, the Michigan listeners of this podcast have been asking how they can get involved to help ensure that those reforms that you've been uh, talking about. Uh, can be adopted, and I know we talked about staying in touch with state representatives and senators. Is there anything else that they could do to help out with this? Well, there's there's one other area. I, actually, I'll, I'll, I have two asks okay. for people that are listening and, and, and want to get involved. On top of the idea of relationships with your legislators, mm-hmm. the um, the the other two are relationships with um, with administration and school boards, particularly in places where there may have been. You know, battles of the past, battle scars, lines drawn, and hard feelings, mm-hmm. maybe even lawsuits. That it's never too late to try and um, try and rekindle a relationship, a discussion, and trying to work toward solutions. I'm working on trying to change the policy and the overall system, mm-hmm. but that will only work if we have uh, people that have a heart toward making it work. I don't care how good your systems are. If you don't have people that are really into making it work, 
um, then it's it's harder. So those relationships are um, there. Those relationships are important, not just at the legislative level where they're setting policy, but also with school board members and administration and and um, and really kind of giving everybody an opportunity to understand, to be good listeners, and then to uh, and to and to try and make sure that those discussions are very. Um, are very constructive, and then the other one is a little more. My my second ask is a little more, um, is a little more personal. And this is, you know, father of a child with autism speaking to other parents out there of children that that might have special needs, that that uh, might have disabilities, and and, uh, and you know, I I get it that it's in in a lot of ways. I mean, there are a lot of things that are hard, um, and it's easy to lose sight in what the potential could be. And um, and so one thing I always have to check myself in, and I want to ask um, all parents out there to really to constantly be checking themselves, is are are we buying into limitations in our in our children? Are are we accepting on the front end before our children have a chance to um, to prove themselves? Uh, what they what and, and and live out their own aspirations and even have aspirations in the first place. You know, are are we doing everything we can to help them achieve that, or are we in our in our in our zeal to protect our children? Are we holding them back? And that's um, this is an area. If I've got one thing that kind of keeps me up at night, it's um, it's that you know this this instinct that we have as parents to protect our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, from anything going wrong or anything going bad or, or having a, a experienced any kind of um, negative thing in our life, uh, in their lives, are are we keeping them from experiencing life? Are we keeping them from actually um, going out there and and, uh, and trying? And and that's where you know when we get into the reason I bring this up in the, the context of services is that we need to be willing to to really push our kids just like we push our other kids. Mm-hmm. I have three kids, one of them has autism and two do not. And um, and I push my other kids that don't have autism, and I would be doing a to, to really achieve their best outcome, their, their and to, and to to create the best um, their, their best selves. And um, and so I would be it would be a travesty if I didn't approach my daughter with autism in the same way and give her the same opportunity to go out there instead of. Predetermining, well, this isn't a path for you. You shouldn't go down that that um, that uh, that direction. I, I that that's an area that I just want I, I want us parents to really be on guard about to make sure that we believe in our kids, we believe in their potential, and we don't let our our instinct to protect them get in the way of their opportunity to uh, to really explore what their what their real potential is. Mm. Yeah, I, I I I agree a hundred percent with that. I I feel that way the same with my own kids too, and I, I worry about that as well. So I think that's perfect. That's a perfect summation there. Well, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to be on the podcast. Great to be on the show. I appreciate it. We'll do it again sometime. Once again, we have links on our podcast website, specialparentsconfidential.com, for the lieutenant governor's website with his special education task force. You can read his report to Governor Snyder and his reforms report to the Board of Education, as well as learn more about the special education task force. We also have a link to the page on the State of Michigan website where you can look up who your state representative is and who your state senator is and how you can reach out to meet them and talk to them about your support for special education in Michigan. 
My thanks again to Lieutenant Governor Brian Kelly for talking with us on this episode of Special Parents Confidential. And as we always do at this point, a reminder that if you like this episode of Special Parents Confidential or any episode that we've done, please share our site with your friends, your family, and all your connections on social media. You can do this easily with the social media buttons on our website. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, add us on Google+, Tumblr, LinkedIn, Pinterest, StumbleUpon, Reddit, or any of the other social media sites you prefer. You can also sign up for our email service and have new posts and podcast episodes delivered right to your inbox the moment they're available online. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Pod Directory as a free subscription. And if you have a moment, feel free to write a review about our podcast on those subscription delivery services. Anything you can do to help spread the word about Special Parents Confidential will help us to be able to continue these podcasts. And that's it for this episode of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini. Thanks for listening.